You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Laura Zarrow. Welcome back to Women at Work and today's discussion of pregnancy and parenthood in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and I'm delighted to welcome Allison Downey to the show today. Allison is the parent of a tech startup, two children, and the author of the book, Here's the Plan, your practical, tactical guide to advancing your career through pregnancy and parenthood. Um, And it's going to give us a great opportunity to have the other half of that sandwich that started with Jennifer Owens in the first half, where we talked about um, the company's role in supporting us in parent and pregnancy. And Allison, welcome to Women at Work. And I hope together we're going to talk about this from the woman's point of view. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. So, Allison, as we were talking about, you know, the 100 best companies for working mothers and this proactive approach, um, we also have to acknowledge that these 100 companies are being celebrated because they're not necessarily the norm. Um, What is it that when people talk about the mommy bias or the parenting penalty, what is that bias about? So I think... You know, I, I agree 100% with Jennifer that culture is such a big, important piece of this, that policy can only get you so far. But if people aren't really believing in the policy and they're not behind it from the very top of the organization all the way down through, it's not going to make any kind of a difference. And the problem is that even when there are policies that are really supportive, there's bias. There's bias against mothers. There's the motherhood penalty, which shows that one one study particularly showed that women were being paid $11,000 less when they had children. And this was studied in a lab setting, and people were offering women with young children $11,000 less than they were offering women who didn't have children. So there's this very real quantifiable impact on women who are in that stage of their life. And it actually impacts women just of childbearing years. They, it doesn't matter if they have children, if they're mm-hmm. pregnant, if they're thinking about becoming pregnant, that these biases and these assumptions are so deeply rooted that you look at someone who's in her early 30s and you think maternity leave is somewhere on the horizon for this person. Right. You assume that all women want to be mothers, that they will become mothers, and that they will not be serious about work when they do become mothers. Absolutely. One of the women I interviewed in my book research told me a story about how she started a job right after her MBA, and she was working at a venture capital firm with male partners, and she wanted to go to this conference. And it was an expensive conference for her to attend. It was something like $5,000. And she kept getting pushback from one of the male partners, and she couldn't understand why he was really you know, rejecting this idea of her going. And finally, she just put it out there and said, is there a reason you don't want me to go? And he looked at her and said, and and this is a woman who did not have children, was not pregnant, had just started in her job. um, And he said, you know, you just got married. You're going to have a baby in a year and you're not going to come back. So it doesn't make sense for us to spend $5,000 for you to go to some conference. And it was such an alarming wake-up call to her that she knew the mindset of her employers, like right in that moment. And, you know, to an extent, she's kind of one of the lucky ones because she at least knew that that's what was going on, you know, inside his brain because he was, you know, appalling enough to put it out there in the world. And the real problem is for the women who have colleagues and peers and managers who are thinking those things 
but are afraid to speak up about it. Right. And so that they operate as if this is a foregone conclusion, make decisions around it that completely limit women's earning potential and career opportunities. Um, And it's all based on assumptions and fallacies. Absolutely. Uh, Especially given that there are so many of us who um, are as passionately committed to our careers as we are to parenting. Yeah. And, and for him, you know, um, for me personally, my career and my professional identity was such a core part of who I was and, and how I identified in the world and how I still do identify in the world. So, you know, in my experience, I went and I got my MBA and I took a job on Wall Street and uh, I was excelling. I was at the top of my game. I was in wealth management. I was bringing in billionaire clients. My manager called me into his office and said that he thought that I was the best hope for a success out of that MBA class. And it felt fantastic. That's that an I, amazing thing to I hear. thrived on that kind of feedback. And then I got pregnant. And it's like a sad trombone noise that <laughs> I got completely <laughs> sidelined, that I was, um, I was doing very well during my pregnancy. Like, very few people knew. I talked to the people who needed to know. And then I had some pregnancy complications and needed to be off my feet. So from my house, after my doctor's appointment, I called my office and I left a message saying, I just got this news. I want to continue working. Can we talk about the logistics and how I can keep doing all the things that I was doing before, albeit with my feet up? And I didn't get a call back. So the next day I sent an email and I didn't hear anything back from that email. So I called again and I emailed again and I called my boss's boss and this went on for weeks and no one from my company would return my phone calls. And it was the most galling experience. You would think and they'd be anxious both about your well-being and want to support your interest in working. You would think. <laughs> you would think, especially because I was bringing in billionaire clients. And, you know, despite that success, What was so hard for me to to believe and fathom and understand was how it could happen to me, like how it could happen to someone who clearly was working very hard and And also well-trained and poised in a plumb position professionally, you would think. Um, So is that part of what compelled you to write the book? It was a big piece of it. So I, um, I really wrote the book because I felt like it was missing, that there was no guide for me when I went through that experience. And I kind of, t- I took it on the chin as to, <laughs> to, to, use, to use a sports analogy as we were talking before. And I was really obliterated. I was, I was devastated by that shock to my confidence. And it took me a long time to build that back up again. And I wound up starting a company. And that was what inspired me to, um, to get out there and start talking about this, because it did, it took me years to rebuild that confidence that I had lost. This inspiring and candid woman that I'm talking to is Alison Downey, who's the author of Here's the Plan, Your Practical Tactical Guide to Advancing Your Career Through Pregnancy and Parenthood. Alison, I have to tell you, as I read the book, and it's now been 14 years since I was really dealing with this on the front lines, although I continue to parent and work all the time. And a lot of what you talk about in the later chapters remains highly relevant for me. So for um, as you're listening, this is not just for you as you're launching into parenthood. I think the book is great, whether you're in the early stages, the later stages, or looking to support your own employees. Um, 
one of the things that I really loved about it, and it was also a wake-up call, um, one was that it reminded me of all these things I blocked out. And the other was that you broke it into stages that I found really, really useful um, in thinking about how what to do in each stage and how to be a strong advocate for yourself. So that even if you're working in a culture that is not progressive, that is not um, going to work as your ally, you can still protect yourself and not be victimized during this process. Yeah, I think it's so important. I think women need to be proactive. I think, you know, what you were saying about culture and the 100 companies that are celebrated because the rest of them are not so great, uh, that women need to control their own destiny, that you need to speak up, you need to articulate what you want, and you need to put all the structures in place for yourself so you have that safety net should something go wrong. Now, some of the structures that you talked about in the book, if you could talk a little bit about them, um, one of them was something that we hear from successful women, particularly ones who are in senior levels of their career, the importance of being great, of work, really doing an outstanding job and being indispensable. Why is this particularly important as you're pre-pregnant? So you get so much more latitude (laughs) to do your job in the way that you see fit to do your job, whether that is, you know, being able to leave at five o'clock because you have daycare pickup or being able to work from home occasionally or whatever those pieces of flexibility are that you need. You have so much more latitude for them if you are hitting the ball out of the park in your job before that. So if you are proving yourself, if you are demonstrating your value and your worth to the company from the very beginning, it's much easier to have those conversations. And it becomes less about asking permission to do something, asking permission to work from home, asking Mm -hmm. permission to take 16 weeks of leave, and instead negotiating for your flexibility because you're already bringing so much value to the table. And so part of it is also honoring the culture you're in by working hard for it beforehand and proving your worth. And then that gives you the leverage to be able to negotiate effectively. Absolutely. There's another thing that you talked about, though, is that there's useful information in your excellence and you suggested that you document it. Could you talk a little bit about that? So women spend so much time, and I think this is a general <laughs> a general statement about women, but mothers particularly, we spend so much time worrying about what we haven't done. We have this to-do <laughs> list that is constantly scrolling through our head. And in fact, when I did my research for the book, I asked a couple thousand women what keeps them up at night. And I asked things like, is it whether you're a good mom or whether you're good at your job or is it your family finances? And the most common answer was my to-do list. Oh, please. I sleep so, with Post-it notes next to my bed. So I can write them when I wake up in the middle Absolutely. of the night. So, so it gets out of your brain and onto the paper and you can actually go back, <laughs> I can to, go sleep. back to sleep. Right. I do, I do the same thing. <laughs> so we spend all this time worrying about what's not done and we so rarely take a look back and celebrate what we have accomplished. So one of the things I recommend is taking 15 minutes at the end of every single week, and I have it in my calendar as a recurring calendar appointment at 3 p.m., okay. uh, and sit down and write down what you accomplished that week. Don't just look at your to-do list and what hasn't been crossed off, but really make a list of what you've done. And it's something that's going to be great for your self-esteem and your self-worth, but it's also a very powerful thing to have in your pocket when it comes time for your performance review, or if you decide that you are are no longer in the right place and you need to update your resume, you have a comprehensive list of all the things that you've accomplished that you don't have to rack your brain for. And another way you can do that and, and really put things on paper and putting things on papers is like a, 
a drum that I beat all the time for women with young children to get it in writing, uh, is to start a praise folder in your email. Mm -hmm. So when someone sends you a note saying that you did amazing work on a particular project or you were invaluable or you were, um, you know, the smartest person in the world, uh, that you have that in one place. So you just file it away into that praise folder. I recommend women also forward it to their own personal email account and just have that as a repository for those days when you're doubting yourself, when you're thinking, I can't juggle it all, I can't do it all. You can go back and see objective third-party views that you are really, really contributing. Yes, and you're also collecting data that can be useful to you in so many ways. Absolutely. So this is actually part of getting ready to announce your pregnancy. And in the book, you talk um, at length about the complexity of FMLA and how that varies with paid leave and the politics at play in announcing your pregnancy. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what strategies there are to navigate that? So women tend to be very worried about sharing the news of their pregnancy in the office, and that was something that also emerged from my research. But when I asked them how those conversations went after the fact... 97% said they went good to awesome, somewhere in that spectrum, and only 3% had a negative experience. So the anxiety and angst around that conversation with your boss is somewhat misplaced and that your boss hopefully has received some kind of training about how to be supportive of you and express that support. I think the real challenge is, like what I talked about earlier, what's going on inside their heads and what they're really thinking about and worrying about. And also your colleagues, that your colleagues are such an important piece of this puzzle because in many cases, they're going to be the ones who are shouldering a lot of your workload while you're gone. And that's where a lot of this resentment and cultural problem issues Mm -hmm. really arise. If you paid attention to the Neternity article and the backlash that came up around the woman who wrote an article for the New York Post positing that every woman should get three months time at some point in her career, regardless of whether she has children, to take a step back and reflect. And it kicked off this national hullabaloo. But the core there and what was underneath that misguided argument is that there really is resentment in the workplace that Mm -hmm. people who don't have children but have other priorities, whether it's their selves or their family or a graduate degree or whatever it is. Or volunteer work or a range of things that make them whole. Yeah, and it's validated less in the workplace than having children. Um, So it's okay for the mom to leave at 5 o'clock to go pick up her child from daycare, but it's not so okay to leave at 5 o'clock because you need to go to yoga class because that's going to give you the clarity and presence of mind to do your job well the next day. So figuring out how to have those conversations with your colleagues in a way that is not going to foster that resentment I think is such an important piece of it. I talk about it in terms of discussing the undiscussables, and it was a term that one of my business school professors used, and he posited that unless you are putting everything out on there on the table, things that people don't want to talk about, you're never going to be able to be a great leader. And that relationship between work and family and parents and non-parents is a really big undiscussable. So if you try and sweep it under the rug, it's just going to fester until there is a conflict and there is a problem on your team. 
So the person that I'm talking with about the undiscussables um, is Allison Downey. She is the author of Here's the Plan, Your Practical, Tactical Guide to Advancing Your Career Through Pregnancy and Parenthood. So, Allison, one of the things that you referred to at multiple points in the book, both as an important pre-pregnancy component as well as um, for when you're postpartum and returning to work, is the plan for the time that you're away. And um, the way that that involves your colleagues. Could you talk a little bit about that and how you go about building it and then referring to it? So I am a big fan of being overprepared. And Jennifer talked a little bit earlier about how uh, when an employee tells you that she is expecting a baby to say congratulations and then push off the conversation about the actual logistics for a few weeks. And I advocate the same for women who are going in and talking to their employers. But to assume going into that conversation that it is going to be on you to develop that plan and really think about it. So Uh, you have to take responsibility for organizing that for your manager. You do. And even if your manager is doing it at the same time, it's going to show so much initiative and commitment that you've thought through all of those issues. Mm -hmm. And even if each of you independently are developing your own plan and maybe isn't even aware that the other is working on it in that moment, the the two of your plans together is going to give you a much more comprehensive sense of what needs to happen and what needs to get done. And I also, from personal experience, rather than the foregone conclusion that we get pregnant and we don't care about work anymore, I cared so deeply about what I was working on that I was really invested in how to keep the trains running on time and bring things to conclusion. So I wanted to be part of making that plan. Absolutely. It's it's so important. And it is what's going to set you up for success when you get back. So one of the one of the women I interviewed told me that she developed this really intense spreadsheet that she used to write down all the projects she was working on, what her concerns were about each one, who was going to own it, um, you know, what the key decision dates were. And not only was that really um, confidence-building for her team and the people who were reporting to her, it gave her boss a really clear sense of what was going on and enabled him to be there to step in if he needed to. But then when she came back, she had a really clear document after those three months where she had been out of the office that she could just pick up and run with. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about your colleagues. It's about ensuring your success when you get back into the office as well. That's a really good point. So there's a... um Um, The companion part to how you prepare for a vibrant career, um, how you go into your maternity leave um, as long as you can, as forcefully as you can, and return to work fully committed. Um, The flip side is your leave and really taking leave. Um, And one of the things I was so touched by, and it was part of that, oh, my God, I forgot that this happened, was the way that you very honestly talked about what the physical and emotional experience is like um, in those early weeks home with a newborn. Um, Could you talk a little more about how you think about maternity leave and how best to use it? Yeah. Maternity leave is hard. <laughs> and, and I think it was not fun aren't. as much as it was important. Yeah, that they're not really, um, they're not prepared, I don't think, for how hard it is. That I knew and everyone told me that a newborn was hard, but I didn't know exactly what about it was hard. Um, and for me, it was really about the isolation mm-hmm. and that lack of positive feedback. <laughs> that If you worked your whole life and you worked in the summers when you were in college and then you get a job right after college and all you've done is work since you moved out of your parents' house to go to school – 
to suddenly have three months with very little structure, no positive feedback, and especially if you're someone who derives a lot of satisfaction and self-worth from a job well done, the best you can hope for with a newborn is a lack of negative feedback, which is the <laughs> right. baby not crying. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, one of the, one of the women I interviewed said that she went from flying all over the world and managing 50 people to celebrating whether or not she had changed her pants that day. <laughs> and it does boil down to that sometimes. Very jarring. It's very, very jarring. So having some structure in place for yourself, whether that is going to a parenting group or baby yoga or having someone that you go and have a walk with every single day, giving yourself some semblance of reality and some tie to that, I think, can make such a difference in how you feel about your maternity leave. Um, Of course, you have to tie into your own health and, and not push yourself past anything you're ready for. But particularly because we don't have good parental leave. We just, you know, even Mm -hmm. when we're talking about leave, we're talking about maternity leave. We're not talking about dads. Women are on their own for those early months and on your own in a totally new role of motherhood with no training, really, um, and no one else to, to look to for support can be one of the biggest challenges you'll face. Absolutely. I remember the time vividly as falling madly in love with my daughter, being exhausted and really missing the stimulation of work. Totally. And another thing struck me as I was reading through your discussion of maternity leave, preparing for postpartum and returning. It's like the marathon of parenting, that it's really a sustained process. And the ironic reality is that maternity leave is so short and we're so depleted that if we don't get a generous enough maternity leave, we return to work tired and not necessarily ready to engage in that sustained marathon the way that we should be. Yeah, even with a generous maternity leave. It's <laughs> <Right, laughs> to true. work tired. Um, one of the women I interviewed for the book is a sleep researcher, and she told me about this NIH-funded research that she did that studied women's response time in the months after having a baby. And every morning they had this little video game and they'd push a button. And what she found for many months like sometimes even as long as two years, is that women's response time was as impaired and slow as someone who was intoxicated. From the lack of sleep. Yeah, and I don't say that to suggest that women aren't competent, but that we need to make accommodations, that we need to make sure that women have time to heal mentally and emotionally after the birth of a child. And it's not just sleep deprivation, it's sleep fragmentation. That she used because sometimes women will be getting eight hours of sleep, but it's interrupted three times in the middle of the night. Right. So you don't go into deep sleep. And if you don't get to that REM sleep, the analogy she used is that it's like reading a book and the REM sleep is the last chapter in the book. But if you wake up in the middle and you have to put the book down, you have to start over from the beginning every time. So if you're never sleeping more than three hours in a row, you're not getting to that REM sleep and you're not getting that restorative cognitive functioning. As part of the both the usefulness and the compassion that's embedded in the book, um, you talk about the components of where we have the room to make decision about how we manage our time and think about our time um, as we ramp back into full-time work so that we can bring our best selves to work and start to juggle a new whole life. Um, could you talk a little bit about some of the guidance that you have for as we're ramping up and coming back to work? 
work? What can we do so that we are our best selves going forward? Yes, I think a lot of it's mentality, that a lot of women feel like they are either in a fast lane or they're stopped on the side of the road. And if you are mindful that there are acceleration moments where you put your foot on the gas and you speed up and then allow yourself to shift back into that middle lane when that spritz over, it makes it a lot more manageable and feel a lot more manageable. I don't think about work-life balance in the, in the daily sense that when I think about balance, I imagine someone on a tightrope who is walking with one of those big bars and on one side it says work and the other is balance and you're teetering along the whole time trying to keep it perfectly equally balanced all the time. And in my own life, I find that thinking in terms of weeks or months is so much more manageable that I'll have a stretch of time where I'm working nonstop and you know for the last two months I've been on the road more than I've been at home but you know heading into the summer I'm going to take some vacation time with my kids I'm going to you know cut out of work at four o'clock and take them to the park so finding that equilibrium over a longer span of time and not judging yourself ever on right. whether or not you achieved balance in a single day, I think really frees you up to give more of your best self to both work and your family. Allison, I've got to tell you, you have clearly given your best self to us. Um, the book is really tremendous. It's readable. It's helpful. I highly recommend it. It's called Here's the Plan, Your Practical, Tactical Guide to Advancing Your Career. Allison, good luck with everything that you're doing, and thank you so much for joining us on Women at Work. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Oh, it was for us as well. And I'd also like to thank again Jennifer Owens, one of our favorite guests here on Women at Work. And I'd also like to extend a special thank you today. Um, it's to not just Patty Hall and Dan Baker, but the rest of our Gracie Award-winning radio team. Um, the remarkable people here at SiriusXM who really make Women at Work happen every day and year-round. And that includes Emily Anton, Matthew Johnson, Dion Simpkins, Michelle Stucker, Dana Cash, Maurice Tunick, and a special shout out to Lisa Mantineo, who was here in our early days along with Melanie Katzman, as we really figured out how could women at work really help women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. Check out our replays on SiriusXM website. And thank you so much for listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, SiriusXM 111. Have a great week, everyone. You're listening to Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania on Sirius XM 111.